Well, good morning, Mission View Church. Thank you, uh, Craig, for telling us more about Equip Ministries and how Mission View has been partnering with Equip. And uh, for speaking at our fall retreat with Ignite last year, it's been such a privilege to get to know Craig a little bit more. Uh, But my name is Andrew Boring. I'm the pastor of student ministry here at Mission View. Um, And it is my privilege uh, to dive back into the book of Mark with all of you this morning. So, past couple weeks, really, the whole month of April was an incredible month. It really was so awesome, right? Moving into our new building, celebrating Easter, our grand opening last week. It was just such an amazing time to be a part of this church and to see God move in and through this church. And to really, when we take a step back, see God's faithfulness. See God just provide in ways that maybe we weren't even expecting. To see him touch our hearts and grow us in such an amazing way. But through all of that, as we were celebrating and getting used to this amazing uh, facility, um, we kind of took a pause from our sermon series in the book of Mark. So this morning, we're going to be jumping back into that for our second week in the series, uh, Miracle Working God. So we began this series uh, several weeks ago, and the first miracle we looked at was in Mark chapter 4. And it was this miracle of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the miracle that happened just after that in Mark chapter 5. And this is really a really interesting story. We see Jesus yet again set aside the cultural norms of his day and age, right? He doesn't blend in. He chooses to stand out. He doesn't do what is normal. He does things that are entirely unexpected. Jesus goes where he should not go to reach the unreached. And we, too, are called to reach the unreached. We are called to think of what Jesus has done in our lives and to remember how he's touched us in every way and given us hope and peace, right? Life is not always easy. It doesn't always go as planned. But Jesus has the power to change lives and to change desires. And he gives us a fresh perspective on who our God is. So if we need to be refreshed, if we need to be reminded of who our God is, then we need to look at the power and love that Jesus displays for us in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But before we dive into the text, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are a loving God, that you are a God that is loving and, and can touch our lives, but you have so much power that you can actually transform them. Thank you that you've called us to be your sons and daughters. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel and the blessing it is to open up our Bibles and be able to read them and understand them and draw closer to you as we seek you. I pray that you would just work on our hearts this morning. Help us to have eyes to understand this text and just uh, do it as an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark chapter five, starting in verse one, says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gersenans. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjourn you by God. Do not torment me. And he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. A lot just happened. <laughs> Jesus did so much in, this, in these 13 verses. But he saves this man. And what I really think we kind of can draw out of this is that Jesus calls us to value people. Jesus calls us to value people. It doesn't matter if we're a people person or if we're a I need some space kind of person. Jesus values people and he shows us that we need to do the same. But Jesus calls us to value people no matter the place, right? No matter the place that we are at. As we look at this miracle that we just read, um, this, this fits into the broader story a little bit. And if we back up to what had just happened, Jesus was teaching and preaching, and he's with the, his disciples on the western side of the Sea of Galilee in this predominantly Jewish community, right? And that makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus is talking to these Jews because he's Jewish, right? The Jews are looking for the Messiah. They were eagerly anticipating and waiting for the Messiah to come. So he's, he's spending time there telling them who he is. And then he loads up on this boat with his disciples and, and they cross the Sea of, of Galilee and that's where the miracle that we looked at last time happened where he calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But you might be thinking, why did he cross? What is he, where is he going to? Where he, well, he's going here. He's going to this place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee to spend time with these people at that place. The crazy thing is, this new place he's at is not a Jewish community. This new place he's at isn't looking for the Messiah. This new place doesn't know who God is. And it's not even that Jesus is just passing by, right? He had to cross through this little town. No, we, as we look at this miracle, he literally goes to do this miracle. Because once it's done, he, he gets on the boat and goes straight back across the Sea of Galilee. He intentionally seeks this place. He intentionally seeks the lost. He seeks the hurting. He seeks us. And Jesus never should have been here. Right? These people weren't looking for him. They don't know him. This is a place that would have been overlooked. And honestly, this is a place that is unclean. This is, and that's a big deal, being unclean in this day and age. Right? It wasn't that you needed to take a shower. It was actually all about holiness. Right? For the Jews at this time, they had to be clean to enter the temple and to worship God properly. They had to eat certain foods and avoid others. They had to do some, some things and, and avoid doing other activities. Right? They had to be holy. And today we praise our Lord that Jesus makes us clean by dying for us on the cross in our place that his blood cleanses us and makes us holy. This is so beautiful as it allows us to pray to God and have a relationship with him. But Jesus goes to this place that is full of uncleanliness. Gentile people who aren't worshiping, who are unclean. Demons 
clearly unclean. This guy's living in a cemetery, super unclean. There's pigs in this story. Jesus, why are you here? Don't you know that this is not where Jews are supposed to hang out? They're not supposed to spend time with these people. But this man was so far from God. He wasn't close at all. Even the Old Testament law that the the Jews followed at this time said that these Jews were not supposed to speak to these people. Numbers 19, starting at 11, says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person must be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanliness is still on him. This guy that Jesus talks to is that guy who didn't clean himself after living in the cemetery. Right? So this is a guy you're not just supposed to ignore. You're not supposed to just not talk to. This is a guy you are to cut off. Don't you realize that this is someone that Jesus, you're not even supposed to spend any time with. Avoid them like the plague. Stay as far away as you can. But Jesus doesn't follow the Old Testament law here like he's supposed to. Right? He doesn't because he values people. And unlike us who, who can't do something to necessarily help that person who is unclean, Jesus has the power to make them clean. He values people who no one else values, who no one else sees any potential in. Do we go to places where people need Jesus? Absolutely. Right? Anytime we walk out of our house, grocery stores, school, jobs, wherever we are going, we are always running into people who need that message of the gospel. Right? But as we're going about our day, do we make time for these people or are we, or are we more in a rush everywhere we go? Right? Sometimes we wake up and we have those mornings where you wake up like 20 minutes late and your, your whole morning's thrown off. Right? You are now in a rush, you're, you're skipping breakfast, pouring coffee, and you know, you're trying to make sure it gets in the cup because it's just going all over the counter because you're just rushing yourself so much. And then you, you get to your car and you, you're speeding to work or whatever it is, and you're just, it's a rough morning and you get to work and there's so much more work than you anticipated having that day. And you come home at the end of that day on your drive home and you're just exhausted. You're thinking, wow, I just want to get home, sit on the couch, and relax. But then maybe you're like, your, your neighbor stops you as you're pulling in the driveway and starts talking to you. Or you get a phone call from someone that you know is going to take quite a while. Some of us probably, we, most of us have experienced this before, but some of us probably think of that as, <clears throat> this is cutting into like my time. This is cutting into what I want to do. Right? I had plans. I was going to relax on the couch. I was going to I was going to clean whatever it is that I had to do, but Jesus doesn't call us to a relaxing life. He calls us to a sacrificial life. He calls us to a life that is upside down, that prioritizes people over plans, people over our desires. And I get it. We are all busy, right? Saying yes to one conversation is is therefore saying no to something else, but people have to be our first priority. Our church is called Mission View Church, right? Missions is in the name, and it's in the name because we value people. And as the pastor of student ministry, I have the privilege to going on a couple missions trips each summer with our youth group. But if we're not careful, we can go on these trips and see God do incredible things and feel like we're having an impact for the kingdom, and God is growing us and touching our hearts and, and showing us, man, I gotta, I gotta stop doing this sin. I gotta get in my Bible every day when I get home. 
we come home and within a week or two, we just go back to the normal way that we were living. Does the place we go dictate how well we love people? Or does how well we love people dictate the places that we go? Jesus calls us to value people no matter the place that we are at. But he also calls us to value people no matter the power. No matter the power that is against us. No matter the obstacles in front of us. Let's be real. This man, this demon-possessed man in this text is an absolute mess. right? He's an outcast, sure, but this guy has a strong power in him. Verse 4 says that the people, the townspeople who were clearly scared of him, bound him with chains, and he's breaking these things off, right? This guy actually has some type of power that is real, right? We see that the power that these demons actually have, that Satan actually has, power to kill and destroy. But I think sometimes, if we're being honest, we, we kind of act like Satan doesn't have power. We question if he really has a whole lot of power, But if we believe the word of God is true, which we do, then this story is real. And that means that we see that demons do actually have power and display in evil ways throughout the world. Yet in our culture, we we forget that. We act like it's not really something that Satan has power over. So we make movies with interesting storylines. Or we trivialize movies about demons and think that it's just clean entertainment. Right? But there is absolutely nothing clean about this man in this story. But seeing this terrifying power that this possessed man had didn't scare Jesus, and it really should not scare us either. Right? It's amazing, but Jesus doesn't look at this man and think of a plan of how he can talk to him. I've got to strategize, get it all together of, of how I'm going to word my words and, and talk to this man who's got this evil power, right? The man just runs to Jesus. He comes running to Jesus as soon as he sees him, and he says he calls Jesus the son of the most high God. Amen, right? That is who Jesus is. But if we are truly living in accordance with the word of Jesus, we too should see that that's who he is and that there is no power greater than Jesus. Often in our lives, I think sometimes we might have a power struggle within our faith. It's usually not as blatant as it is in this story, where it's between, you know, the power of of Satan and the power of God. But for us, it it might be the power of God and the power of ourselves. This tension of how much control do I give God? Where do I trust him and where do I just trust myself? It was amazing watching uh, our church come together to just assemble this building about a month ago when we first moved in. We had those work nights, and it was really awesome just having everyone come and and working alongside each other and serving in that way. I know one of the evenings, I was upstairs in children's ministry trying to put together this big round table, okay? And it was just this big table and a lot of legs that we had to screw in, and there was a lot of us up there. Um, But a lot of the tools were kind of being used elsewhere, so I found a screwdriver. I was thinking, great, I will get to work, and I'm going to build this table with a screwdriver. I quickly realized that there were not pre-drilled holes in this table, and the screwdriver was not really going to work. So I, I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try anyway. I, I'm going to keep trying. So I did that, and after about, you know, 30 seconds, I am exhausted. My arm hurts. I give up. I'm like, why did I not bring my drill from home, right? I took the harder, slower route by using my arm strength with a lesser tool to get the job done. When we rely on our own power and strength to get through the day, to manage the tasks at hand, it can be really overwhelming. 
We're using a screwdriver for a job that requires a drill. But so often, that's what we do in our lives. We struggle to trust God and rather trust ourselves. Right? If we're poring over how to parent, but we forget that there's prayer involved, we might be trusting in our power rather than God's power. Or when we're making financial plans about our future, and we, trust in, we might be trusting in our power when we don't pray about it, when we don't think about maybe having, exercising faith in that. We have to set aside our pride in order to fall under his power to value people. Jesus calls us to value people no matter the power that is against us. But he also calls us to value people no matter the possessions. No matter the things that we have, the possessions, the property, anything that we could lose that it might cost us. In this passage, this, this man becomes free, but in the process, all of these pigs die. Right? I can only imagine watching this happen. You see the power of the demons and then the power of Jesus, and it's this, this crazy thing, right? The demon says that his name is Legion, and, and really, Legion is referring to a Roman legion that is an army of about 6,000 men. So there were many demons in this guy, so many of them. And Jesus just totally exercised all power over them and kicked them out of this guy. This man is free. That's amazing. But these demons then go into these pigs and kill 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of bacon that just drowned in the sea. <laughs> we might look at a passage like th this and think, pigs are kind of gross, you know? Eh, whatever. We might look at it and really love animals and think, those pigs did not deserve to die. Why did, why did those pigs have to die? Other, others of us are stuck in that bacon thinking that's a lot of food. That's a lot of money maybe that this family, these, these owners lost. Like that, that's going to wreck that economy, wreck their finances. Jesus, don't you see how, how you hurt this other family in the process? Jesus isn't happy that the pigs died. He didn't necessarily want that to happen. He did allow for it to happen but he allows it to happen to show that while we care about pigs and while we care about loss of income or bacon or whatever it is, we can't let any of that overshadow the miracle of a child of God being freed from the power of Satan. That is the point. The, the child of God is being freed from Satan. The chains are broken, right? He was breaking chains in the power of Satan in verse 4, and now it's by the power of God that those chains are broken. Jesus cares more about people than about pigs. And he calls us to care more about people than our income or our hobbies or our house or our cars or whatever it is that sometimes we hold on to just a little bit too tight. There's this motivational book uh, called The Last Lecture by Rainy Posh um, that really talks about how to have a fulfilling life. And it's from a secular perspective, so it's take that as you will. But there's this, um, this really awesome story that the author Randy shares in this book. And really, he just tells of this time when he was still a bachelor, and he was, he was Uncle Randy, and his two little, his niece and his nephew were going to come and spend the day with him. And he's really excited, and his sister comes with the kids and drops him off, and she sees that Randy just bought a brand new car. Nice, real nice convertible. So the mom of the kids looks at the convertible and then looks at her kids and says, all right, don't eat anything, don't touch anything, don't break anything, wipe off your shoes, look forward, barely breathe, right? Don't do anything to mess up your Uncle Randy's new car. And Uncle Randy's thinking, man, I wanted to have a great day with my niece and nephew. I want them to feel like they can bond, like we can connect. So he takes a brand new can of soda, opens it up, and pours it all over the back seat of his convertible. Can't imagine that. That's crazy, right? You just put stains all over your brand new convertible. 
But those kids went from feeling like they had to walk on eggshells to all of a sudden believing that their uncle cared so much about them. God gives us blessings. We should enjoy them, but we can't lose sight of the people in pursuit of the possessions. Where is our heart when it comes to these things? Are we valuing people in those ways? As we continue in our text this morning, looking at verse 14, we really see that Jesus' Jesus's power is a comfort. All right, Jesus' power is a comfort. It says this, starting in 14. The herdsmen fled and told it, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. The people who are watching over these pigs, they own the pigs, just lost all of this money, like can't believe that 2,000 of their pigs just died. They run to the town and tell everybody what happened. Hey, you know that crazy guy that lived in the cemetery, possessed by demons? Yeah, he's in his right mind now, and this Jesus guy showed up, and all these pigs died, right? you got to come check this out, what is going on. So everyone shows up, and they, they assess the situation. They think through what happened, and they're like, all right, what should we do going forward? And their solution is make sure that Jesus gets as far away as possible. Isn't that sad? You see, they knew the power that the demons had. They knew that that power was unpredictable and monstrous. And they knew the damage that Satan does. But they didn't know who Jesus was. They just saw that Jesus has even more power than that. Right? They see that the demons use power in negative ways. But Jesus, we don't know how he uses it other than he just killed 2,000 pigs. And they've only seen supernatural things done in poor ways before. The townspeople have misplaced fear. They have fear in the wrong things. And sometimes we do this in our lives too. We forget about who our God is. We misplace our fear when we forget that Jesus is a loving God. Right? Do we forget that he's, he's so loving and that he has a plan for our lives? It might not be our plan, but it's his plan. We, we might forget that Jesus is the source of our joy, right? If we've tried to find our joy in anything else, we're missing the mark of who he is. Or maybe we forget that he's the prince of peace, that he actually can give us peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of stress, at work, at, in, in the family, in whatever it is, that he is the prince of peace. They feared God more than they feared demons, Right? Now, there is a biblical fear of God, right? This, this fear, this respect, this reverence for who God is. Seeing him as so holy and us as in need of a savior. That is a good biblical fear. But God is a comforter. Our God is a comforter. He's with us, empowering us, providing for us. But sometimes, Jesus' power might feel like a concern rather than a comfort when we don't like how he's working in our lives. Right? Whenever we feel like our lives are just spiraling out of control. There's issues at home, at work. Just we're stressed beyond belief. In those moments, we could either, we're either likely to see Jesus as a comforter or as a concern. And I pray that it's as a comforter, that he's our rock in those moments when life gets hard. But sometimes he's more of a concern when we just blame him for what's happening to us. Instead, we just keep him at arm's length 
and ask him, why did you let this tragedy happen in my life? Why do I feel so alone? Right? These are questions that we feel after we lose a loved one, or it's been a rough week on top of a month of rough weeks, and we're just at our wit's end and frustrated and overwhelmed. And we begin to wonder if God really thinks we are as strong as he thinks we are, because we're like, I'm not that strong. But he is our comforter. And in those moments, it, it takes remembering that we can't do anything without him. He knows we're not strong enough for the struggles that come our way. But we are strong enough when he's the one who's actually handling the burden. Right? And sometimes he, he, he lets us be brought down to our knees, to where we are fully stripped of ourselves, so we can realize and, and tell him that, yeah, Jesus, you are our comforter, and I need you rather than doing this in my own power. It takes us remembering that God is worthy of praise, that he's the most important thing in our lives. He is our comforter, and we have to set aside our pride in that, right? How do we see Jesus? Do we see him like the townspeople who are scared of him, having this, this misconception of who Jesus is, or is he our rock? Is he our comforter? Is he who we go to and we cling to in times of trouble? As we continue in with our text, we see that we can't stay quiet when we see Jesus working in our lives. When we see properly who Jesus is, we can't stay quiet when we see him working in our lives. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might, that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Right? This man sees what Jesus has done for him. Right? He's, he's had this, he's been possessed. He's been struggling. He sees what Jesus can do and how he's worked in his life. And he's sold out for Jesus. Jesus, I want to follow you anywhere you tell me to go. I am all in. You flip my life upside down. Amen. Isn't that the story that, that God's done in our lives? This former demon-possessed man wants to be a disciple of Jesus. But then Jesus tells him that he can't travel with him. Wait a sec. He's sold out. He, he wants to, to, to learn at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, what do you mean he can't follow you where you go and learn from your teachings? Jesus had a mission. He was preaching to the Jews. He had a mission to the lost Jew first. That doesn't mean that Jesus had, didn't have a plan for this man, right? Jesus tells the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus' plan for this man wasn't to tag along with the disciples. It was to be one of the first missionaries to the Gentiles, right? This man had a plan for God, but God had a better plan for this man. This man wanted to learn, but Jesus said to go tell everyone what Jesus has done for you. You see, we don't have to be a follower of Jesus for X number of years before we can really start making disciples for him. We don't have to read through the Bible entirely before we can start making disciples for Christ. Right? Those are good goals, things that we should probably try to, try to be doing, you know, good things. But this man knew next to nothing. He wasn't going to synagogue on Sunday morning. He, he wasn't the type of person who's sitting in a church service. He knew nothing. All he knew was what Jesus had just done in his life. Now Jesus had just saved him. But if we know the gospel, 
If we believe the gospel, if we've been transformed by the gospel, we know enough to make disciples. God doesn't, have to say, God doesn't say that we have to be a Christian for, for five years before we invite a friend to church. He doesn't say you have to be the best husband or wife or parent before we just show other, other people, like our neighbors, the love of Christ. He just says we have to know him. We have to believe him. Right? We have to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for us because we are wicked sinners in need of a savior. But he saw us in our despair and pulled us out and died on the cross in our place, rising from the dead so that we too can be with him forever and rise. So who is this God-man? Who is Jesus? We see he makes the demons tremble, the possessed free, and the lost marvel. And he calls each and every one of us to tell them how much the Lord has done for you. God has done something in the lives and hearts of every one of us. You might be thinking, I don't know what God has done for me, right? But even when we look through our life through a lens of brokenness or pain, we can still see the hand of God giving us hope, right? When we slow down from the busyness of life, we can see him working in our lives, if nothing else, just by Jesus dying on the cross and saving us. But sometimes it's by spending time in creation and we see, see the wind blowing through the trees and we're just like, yes, you are a creator. Or it's, it's, it happens through the, the, the delight of a kind word that is just at the right time and an encouragement that we needed to hear and we're like, God, you are so good and loving. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't know how to share what God has done for me. Right? I'm new at this. I don't know how to share what he's done. But think about what brought you here today. Maybe you've been coming to Mission View for a long time. Maybe you've been coming for only a couple weeks. But if you're a Christian, Jesus has changed your heart. He has renewed your heart. Share the story of how Jesus has been working in your heart to bring you where you are today. Right? We haven't arrived. We aren't finished. We aren't perfect. But we are growing and learning. God calls us to love people. And Jesus has been a comfort to all of us. We can't stay quiet when we see Jesus working in our lives. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good God. How you love people is incredible. Thank you for loving a sinner like me. Thank you for giving us all the grace to be able to praise you, to be able to sing songs of praise to you that are really prayers of, of our heart's desire and what the, what the longing of our heart is. Thank you for being a God who is a comfort. In our times of trouble, when we're in the valley and when we're on the mountain, you are always there, always reliable, Lord, and we are so thankful for that. I pray that you would help us to not stay quiet about what you've done in our lives. Work in our hearts. Call us just to love you more and more. And I pray that you would help us just to grow closer to you each and every day and to be lights as we go throughout our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.